preparation, good intentions, work ethic, and execution. You very rarely achieve excellence if you haven't put good thought into what it is that you're about to do, which to me is that preparation. Very rarely in your life do you achieve excellence without trying hard at it. Good intentions to me is what really brings the sustainment or the sustenance, I guess you could say, of excellence because you might achieve a lot of success, but with the wrong intentions, eventually that kind of crumbles. And then obviously execution, you can have the best plan in the world, but you got to go out and make it happen. And there's a lot of people that might struggle at that part. So for me, it's it, excellence is when you can achieve all four of those things in unison at one time. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Well, welcome, Rob Sprong, to this episode of the Excel Today podcast. Uh, Rob's our guest, and uh, we're going to dive right into it. Rob, we always start off with what is your definition of excellence? Yeah, for me, that all started growing up as a kid. I was very involved in athletics, and quite honestly, it was one of those things that I really had to work at uh, to, to excel on the field. And for that reason, I think I developed a much better appreciation of excellence from a young age through my athletics background. Um, to me, excellence is when hard work, preparation, good intentions, and execution all meet. And it's challenging. And it's one of those types of things where you might reach it for certain parts in your life and have the best of intentions of maintaining excellence but for one reason or another, it might slip. And for me, that, that drive to achieve excellence, that drive to know that I was well-prepared, I had good intentions, I worked hard, and I executed my plan, that drive to achieve and stay at that level of output or that level of excellence, that, that's a big driving factor. And so I can say over my business career, um, you know, out of those four factors, I've definitely been able to maintain most of them at all times, but it is a very special feeling when you know you're delivering on all cylinders and uh, something worth you know continuing to fight and chase for. So for those that are listening to this at 1.5 speed, can you give us the four factors again? What are the four that you look at in excellence? Yeah, so I, I would say preparation, good intentions, work ethic, and execution. You know, you very rarely achieve excellence if if you haven't put good thought into what it is that you're about to do, which to me is that preparation. Um, very rarely in your life do you achieve excellence without trying hard at it. You know, good intentions to me is what really brings the sustainment or the sustenance, I guess you could say, of excellence because you might achieve a lot of success, but with the wrong intentions, eventually that kind of crumbles. And then obviously, you know, execution. Um, you can have the best plan in the world, but you got to go out and make it happen. And um, there's a lot of people that might 
struggle at that part. So for me, it's it, excellence is when you can achieve all four of those things in unison at one time. Yeah, and there's so much that goes into each of those. I mean, you, you could talk about each of those headings forever. Interesting that you said that you uh, uh, found your definition of excellence early in life. Why don't you tell us what you were like in high school and college, what life was like for you then? Yeah, so high school was a good time for me. Um, I actually, my senior year, won Scholar Athlete of the Year award at my high school. Um, I was not the most accomplished athlete. We had people that were drafted to play in the Major League Baseball, we had people that made it, you know, pretty deep into um, collegiate basketball, collegiate other sports. I did not. Uh, but what I did do was I demonstrated consistent work ethic. I commanded the respect of my teammates. And at the same time, on the scholastic side, um, I was the highest achiever on each team that I played for. So, um, you know, for me, I was, I was very proud of the ability not to become pigeonholed in a certain clique. You know, if I look back on my friends in high school, I had friends that were athletes. I had friends that were on the math and science team. You know, I was involved in ASB. So I, I did my best to be well-rounded and, and uh, belong to a lot of different social groups. And I think that really set me up for college in a lot of good ways, obviously for the admissions process, but also uh, just kind of been a good head on my shoulders when I went into uh, UC San Diego. So when you were in your late teens, maybe in high school, playing sports, maybe in uh, college, how did you find your path towards becoming an a, a accomplished business person? Yeah, um, that one was interesting uh, because when I got to my freshman year of college, um, almost all of my you know, pre-college dreams hinged on playing baseball somewhere. And I did get recruited to play both football and baseball at Claremont McKenna. Um, but I det determined that I didn't want to go through that financial hurdle of putting myself through private school. So I, I went to UC San Diego and I lost that part of my identity that was defined by being an athlete. And that was a, a crucial point for me, actually, because I think in a lot of ways it would have been easy to maybe not apply myself or, or find a lack of something to pour energy into. Um, fortunately for me, um, I started working on my own as a private tutor. I needed to pay my way through college. That definitely helped me find my path just by necessity. Um, I did tutoring. I had over 25 students my freshman year of college, ranging from people in middle school to, I actually worked with an uh, older gentleman who was getting his GED so he could be a volunteer police, senior retired police officer. Um, and that tutoring experience was something that was very entrepreneurial. I got to do it on my own. I got to set my own rate. I was not reporting to an office. I think that's where some of that entrepreneurial itch started for me. And, you know, lo and behold, in January, I believe it was of my freshman year of college, I heard about College Works Painting, which would be, uh, for me, looking at the skills that I was starting to build in my tutoring business and putting them into a much more established uh, company with a much higher business structure, higher learning lessons, managing people, working with $1,000 projects rather than $25 an hour to help somebody with their homework. And I would say the combination of those two steps and needing to put myself through school and the success that I found at College Works that really helped put me on the business and entrepreneurial path. Great. So prior to the College Works experience, and obviously I know that you were at College Works, so you were one of the best that ever was at College Works. 
Prior to that, though, when, when you're, you're starting off the tutoring business, what gave you the clue that you should persevere, gave you the clue that you should prep, work hard, have these intentions, and execute towards business? You could have gone into medicine. You could have gone into anything. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, I stumbled into it, to be honest. Um, There's two things that really happened. So it started in high school. I started just by tutoring one of my buddies. We were in the same AP US history class. He struggled a little bit with it. I was good at it. And I kind of came from a family of educators. So I knew at my core that if you teach something, you learn it better. So I looked at, okay, let me take some time to tutor Devin in, in AP US. His mom made the mistake of paying me one time. And once I recognized that I could get paid to help you know, somebody learn some of these uh, things that I'd already learned or things that I was learning alongside of them, uh, a light bulb really went off for me. Um, another thing that happened was there was a summer that I was trying to fit working around my football training. And I remember going into three different coffee shops or restaurants or, you know, whatever it might have been at that time and getting applications. And I remember going home to fill out the applications and my mom being a good mom, she checked over them before I submitted them. And she looked at how I filled out my availability. And, it, and I laugh about it to this day because I wanted to work 20 hours a week. I filled out on the application the exact 20 hours that I wanted to work. And my mom was like, there's no way you're ever gonna get called for this job. And I said, mom, why? I'm great. And she said, well, you, you gave them no wiggle room. You told them when you want to work. And I think at that point I realized this whole job thing you know, doesn't sound as fun as, you know, working when I want to, being more entrepreneurial. So I think that that, a combination of things really started to click for me right there. Um, and with the tutoring business, you know, I, it really kind of took off without me intending to, it was word of mouth. It was me doing a good job, me being able to connect. I think a lot of parents actually really liked the fact that I played football and I had great scores because the football program was, a great, you know, potential client pool for me. Um, I work with, I think, three or four different football players that were a couple grades younger. And so it was this combination of like a little bit of a mentorship plus tutoring plus help, good role model. Um, and it really took off. And I, I was fortunate to have more customers than I could handle, you know, in that tutoring business. So not, not many people start a business when they're in high school. Some do. Not many people uh, you know, go start a business when they're in college like you did with CollegeWorks. Were you doing that to separate yourself? Did you have a goal of separating yourself? I need to get ahead of my peers. Everybody else at uh, UCSD has the same resume as me. I need to stand out. Or were you just having a good time being your own boss and it was serendipitous that, that you separated yourself? it started that way. It started the latter, the serendipitous route, because, you know, I like to have money. I didn't get an allowance. I knew that if I worked, you know, tutoring for an hour, I could make $25 where if I went to go work at the coffee shop, it would take me four or five hours after taxes at that time to get the exact same amount of money. So at the beginning, it was very short run. It was very, you know, this is fun. I, I, I have good money. In college, that's where it really started to click that what I was doing was separating myself because some of those skills that I had built on my own doing my tutoring business translated over to the college works experience. And I was very proud of the fact that I could say at 18, I was managing a business that did $70,000 in revenue in a summer. You know, and I think that that um, pride and 
you know, honestly, in my late teens, early 20s, ego was a big driver as well. So I wanted to achieve and separate myself. And I took pride in doing those things that were allowing me to. And once I'd seen the fruits of my labor, it became almost like an addiction. Okay. Okay. So after uh, running these businesses, and I know you had another business uh, that you started in 2011, uh, you eventually left College Works and went off to uh, Keenview, uh, where you operate as the president of network operations. Why don't you tell us what Keenview does and what's unique about how you bring your product to market? Yeah. So Keenview, we're a peer advisory group for CEOs, and we're mainly working with them on their risk posture. I, I would say what's unique about Keenview is that all of our executives are former business owners, current business owners. So when we're working with our clientele, you know, our goal is to help somebody that has made all the sacrifices in the world to build their company be able to protect it, be able to sleep at night, be able to know that there isn't going to be some event uh, that could, you know, put them in a really tough situation. And I think that that empathy and the experience that we bring having all been business owners ourselves uh, allows us to connect in a level that a lot of service providers in our same spaces that we work with just simply don't because they approach it from a slightly different angle. So I'd say the empathy is probably one of the bigger ones. All right. So you've been in a few different industries, the tutoring industry, the construction industry, the recruiting industry, the training industry. You've given a lot of speeches. What, how hard was it to transfer the skills from these other industries into this new business and from business to consumer to business to business? Yeah. Well, one thing that was unique about my time with College Works is I was constantly teaching business and I was constantly working with young people who were working on growing a business themselves. So I would say in some regards that um, working in a more adult, established, you know, instead of uh, mentoring somebody that's doing $100,000 in business, we might be working with somebody that does $100 million. Obviously, that's different. But at the at our core, you know, we're we're discussing business challenges. Um, so, you know, although it's a different industry, I would say so much of the skills that you learn working with customers anywhere do apply and do transfer over. Um, and specifically for us, because we work with business owners, that makes you know life a little bit easier because of that empathy. So, uh, uh, how are how are you getting to the customer? at Keenview, because I know it's nowhere, nothing similar to how you used to get to your customers. How are you acquiring your clients? Um, you know, basically through a lot of, obviously, word of, the, the best things are when your brand can market itself, obviously. So, you know, word of mouth is a very big one. Um, we're actually doing a lot of direct outreach as well, you know, and making sure that when we're communicating with, you know, business owners that are out there looking to pinpoint some needs for them, figure out what some of the pain points are that they have and figure out how we can solve them. So, um, you know, some of the same selling skills that I developed at College Works and through my tutoring business and through uh, JSRM, which was our, the other business that I ran, they do transfer over. It's a different audience, obviously, and you have to adapt to the audience that you're dealing with. But, you know, at the end of the day, so much of that uh, grit, perseverance, um, sales skills that come with that, you know, that, that's something that I built over time here at College Works. All right. So uh, 
You've, you've uh, mentioned needs and pain points, and our listeners uh, have the need of having your job and the pain point of wanting your income, uh, and you're kind of where they want to be 10 years ahead of them uh, on the path that maybe they want to go down. Do you have any leadership rules of conduct that you've always lived by? And if so, how have you brought them to Keenview? Um, there are a few uh, that I learned, and I, I learned them over the course of sports, business, jobs, um, teachers, professors. You know, I think we've all had that coach or that boss or that manager that a lot of times struggles to actually connect with the people that they're working with, the team that they're coaching. Um, they make it all about themselves, you know, um, and at the end of the day, one of my biggest leadership principles is recognizing that being a leader, not too much matters about you. You know, at the end of the day, the more success that you're going to have as a leader comes from uh, taking your team to a higher level and finding out what it is that they care about, uh, casting a vision, making sure they're on, on board and, and helping them achieve where they want to go. Um, I would say another leadership principle that comes to mind, and this is a big one that's become even more important for me over the last five years, I, I would say is ownership and that concept of ownership. You, you don't see too many successful leaders that are finger pointers. Um, ownership and understanding the personal responsibility that comes uh, good and bad with being in a leadership position, I think is crucial. And um, I, I would say those two are, are key components to the leadership that we look to bring over at Keenview. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. So the focus on the people that you're working with, the focus on the team, the focus on... Uh, helping them get to where they need to be in addition to the vision and the connection you mentioned. It's funny because uh, we have another episode that we did on the disc test. And I know you're familiar with the disc test and you and I are both driver influencers. But when you talk about your leadership style, you're talking about taking the team where they need to go. It's all about the team. It's all about their success, which is really uh, the, the, the discussion points of maybe someone that was a supporter or a steady. So why do you think, even though you're a driver influencer, for those that listen to the DISC episode, why do you think you're so focused on the team and the individuals and the individual's dreams? Probably because of experience, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, like you said, my natural tendencies would be to be a driver influencer. 
And, you know, over my years as a leader, I haven't been perfect. And I can think of in my early 20s, uh, different situations where my personal goals were what drove me and were what I communicated to the people that I was working with. And, you know, that, that there is a time and place. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's important to be able to stand in front of a group and talk about what you want to achieve and where you want to go. But that doesn't matter if that person is not connected to that vision. And that's a, it's a very, to me at least, it's a very short-term type of motivation that you can get. You can get in somebody's face. You can say, I don't think that was good enough. I don't think that was what we were looking for. And that might win once or twice. Um, John Maxwell talks about this in his book, Developing the Leader Within You, um, the concept of an emotional currency that you might have. You know, I've found that the emotional currency is very important with leadership and without focusing on the team and focusing on yourself, every time you do that, it just feels like you lose some of that currency. So lasting leadership to me has to involve some component of the team. It's probably because it's the opposite of my natural tendency that I, I focus on it so much. That's, that's the same answer as well for me. Um, you're driving to make sure everyone is excellent, every member of the team, the team as a whole, the company, the industry, you're lifting everybody as you go. I find that with a lot of drivers, they, they come across as supporter steadies, even though they don't test that way. So now that you've got your, your leadership style and you're in this new industry, what do you think is gonna be a surprise to your customers? What's gonna be different about how uh, your sales team at Keenview approaches them than what they're used to based on your leadership style? Well, you know, I, I guess one of the things that immediately comes to mind is working with vendors, period. You know, um, as a business that is working and providing services to other businesses, we fall into the role of being a vendor for these companies. Now, we've had experience working with vendors, good and bad. We've had experiences managing vendors, good and bad. And because of that experience uh, with that relationship and working with other businesses, we know how businesses might struggle um, and how the vendor relationship can break down. And our goal and what we do and what we excel at is making sure that that vendor relationship works the right way. So whether it's a technology provider that we're setting up a, a customer with, whether it's something that we're doing in-house, we've been there, we've seen the good and the bad, you know, we're going to work on making sure that our customers have a positive vendor relationship, either with a provider or with us. And do many of them not have that positive experience currently? Is that why you're getting so much interest? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you would think that so many of the basic fundamental principles in business, you know, are universal. Um, but unfortunately they're not, you know, it's, it's a big country that we live in. There's a lot of different entrepreneurs out there. There's people that have figured things out and people that have not. And sometimes, you know, a vendor's shortcomings might have nothing to do with their intentions. It might have to do with their execution um, or it might have to do with their preparation. They might not be ready to service, you know, what they're taking on. And so at Keenview, we focus a lot on making sure that we're making the smart decisions on what we're offering so that we can deliver a positive vendor experience. Great. So let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, hopefully this topic that I'm talking about becomes dated in, in many years when people are listening to this podcast, they don't know what we're really talking about. But we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, it's been going on since March or February, about nine months. 
And we have to look at things as entrepreneurs, we have to look for the silver lining in every, everything that goes wrong. So this is a, a horrible tragedy, um, but there may be some things that have come out of it that are gonna help you help other people, help you help your team, help you help your family. So what routines have you adopted to deal with the pandemic or what changes have you implemented that you're thinking about keeping uh, once we've cured this disease? Yeah, um, I have a lot on the personal side. I have a lot on the relationship side. I have a lot on the business side. So I'll, I'll start with the personal side for those of you guys that you know might have an interest on how do I maintain myself? How do I work on boundaries in my life? You see more people working from home. You know, you see students nowadays that are logging into class and being able to lie down in bed while they're doing that, or maybe not even putting their camera on and walking away. You know. Um, for me, one of the things that's been the most important is maintaining those boundaries. I do my best to keep a set schedule every single day. Um, <laughs> kind of by necessity here in the state of California, I canceled the gym membership and I've started to work out at home. Um, but, you know, on the personal side of the pandemic, I, I think there's never been a more important time to develop routines that are going to promote your overall well-being. On the, on the relationship side, you know, um, I recently got back down here to San Diego. I'm very fortunate in the fact that both of my grandmothers are still with us. They're in their 90s. And this is a very challenging time for them because, you know, they don't get to see their family as much. Um, you know, we get screen fatigued, you know, these Zooms and all this stuff. You know, but at the end of the day, connect with people. Make a FaceTime call. You know, don't just sit there and, and send out a text message. Reach out to somebody, show your face, show them that you care. That little connection, people are kind of starved for that right now. And it'll be a nice, you know, when we get to the point where it's a lot easier, you know, for me to run up and go hang out with them in their house for a couple hours. But, you know, that, that little, those little gestures make a very big difference. And on the business side with COVID, I think the, the challenging thing is that, different businesses are getting hit in different ways with this. Um, you know, with our experience here at CollegeWorks, we had thousands of clients. We had thousands of frontline employees. We wanted to make sure that we did everything that we could from a policy and management perspective to be able to know that we were keeping our people safe. And I, I know, you know, you feel the same way I do. Being able to sleep at night and knowing our policies were out there the right way, that was huge. You know, and with every different aspect that you find in business, I think there's learning lessons that can be done. I think it was no small accomplishment what we were, what we were able to achieve over there, you know, protecting people at college works. Yeah. So um, there's so many books written about healthy habits and routine. Mm -hmm. You say, hey, I set some boundaries for myself and I stuck to it. I mean, could you imagine if COVID hit and you're working from home and you did just lay in bed and unplug the camera like some people do? That's not the habit of highly effective people. Um, what is your morning routine? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the office really early. Um, I usually wake up at around 4.45 and I'll enjoy a cup of coffee. Um, I'll kind of collect myself. I try to avoid the trap of opening up my phone and scrolling through social um, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not perfect. You know, there are some days where I get sucked in and I'm looking at Instagram or checking Twitter. Um, but I try my best to avoid that in the morning. Um, I'll do some kind of light workout, you know, um, 30, 40 minutes, something just kind of get the blood going. 
also, you know, if you do that four times over the course of the week, you've already got two hours of physical activity in there. Not bad before you get to the weekend or after work or anything like that. Um, and you know, whenever I start work, I kind of have a personal rule that I, I want to be set up in work mode at least 20 minutes before I actually start, you know, so I'll get to the office a little bit early. I'll map out my day. I'll reflect on my notes from the previous day. I'll think of the top couple things that I want to achieve. And by combining those things, waking up with ample time and not having to roll right into what I have to do, get a little bit of physical activity in. If I can read something that's positive and productive, I'd love to, you know, do that. And I do that sometimes as well. I just want to get myself in the right headspace, you know, to attack the day. And, you know, for me, I, I really don't mind getting up early and, and going to bed early. It, it's, it's tough to build that habit, but once you have it, it's really not that hard once, you have, once you've got it down. Yeah, a lot of discipline in that routine you're talking about. And you've mentioned work ethic quite a few times. What, what's your thoughts on work ethic? And what's your thoughts on work ethic when it seems like maybe we should just give up? Yeah, you know, um, work ethic is something that's come up a couple times in my life. Um, and, and in both positive and ways that were not as positive, you know, so when I look back in my academics, I know I could have actually put a little bit more work into my academics than what I did. Now I still achieved, you know, um, but when I look back on it, did I put 10 out of a 10 at my work ethic towards school? No. And is that a good thing? No, not at all. But that's just, you know, how it was at that time with sports. It was a little bit easier, you know, quite honestly, for me to put that work ethic there because I, I kind of needed to do that to survive and be able to compete at the level that I wanted to. Um, and then when I approached business, you know, I think early on in my business career, I had a sense of pride in being able to achieve on the level with everybody else by putting in less work. And I think that actually carried over from academics as well. I think I was proud of the fact that I could study for a half hour and get the same grade that somebody studied for two, you know, and that to me at a certain point when I had enough experience as a business person and I could see how work ethic translates into trackable metrics like revenue dollars or profitability or customer service or whatever it might be. When I started to see work ethic getting translated to direct results and being able to be measured, I, I kind of had this come to realization moment in a lot of ways that I, I didn't want to take pride in not working as hard as everybody else and being able to get by, you know, um, because at the end of the day, potential, you know, you've probably heard that word a lot. People talk a lot about people's potential that almost has a negative connotation for me. I am so scared of not achieving my potential that it drives me to work because I, I'd hate to be remembered as that person that had a lot of potential. Was there something that happened uh, that caused you to change where all of a sudden you're getting by and getting straight A's with a half hour study and you decide why not study for four hours? It was a combination of things. There was a little bit of that. Um, I took some upper division math classes that um, really caused me to realize that this study habit was not going to work because I needed to, you know, achieve at that level. Um, and then, you know, there was a couple experiences at College Works Painting even when, you know, I would meet people that perform better than me and put up better numbers. And, you know, I probably created a bunch of excuses for myself at the time as to why they might have been doing better. But then I met them and I talked with them and I came to the realization you know, I, I could probably do what they did if I put the same amount of energy towards what I did. And, you know, I think there was a point where 
my numbers were good, but they weren't as good as I wanted them to be. And I recognized internally through reflection that work ethic was the main thing that held me back. And from that point, I kind of made this decision that I didn't want work ethic to be something that got in my way in the rest of my life. What a wonderful aha moment because you would have never been able to realize your potential. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So my favorite question uh, that I ask everybody on the podcast, what sacrifices have you made that you'll never regret? And maybe you just told us about one of them, but what else? Yeah, there's so many, you know, and, and sacrifice is something that I've been familiar with my whole life. My mom was a business owner um, and she actually was in the escrow business. Business was quite successful. We, we did well. Um, and then 2008 happened and, you know, she fought hard to keep the doors open. She wasn't able to keep the doors open, but I look at everything that our family had uh, as a result of the sacrifices that my mom made, you know, working late hours, sometimes having to deal with stressful situations. Um, and I was able to translate that at a young age, you know, for me, I didn't do a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. I was either going to a baseball game, going to football practice. Um, and I never, you know, there were some times that I I wish that I could have relaxed and hung out, but I didn't regret that because I got so much more from being able to be out on the sports field and winning a game or losing, even losing a game. So, you know, when I look back, I I, I like this question. It's hard for me to pinpoint a single sacrifice that I've made that I never would regret because I've made so many and I don't regret any of them, you know? And I I think that's kind of just how I've tried to live my life. So as you made a, what, what some people would perceive as a sacrifice, not playing cartoons and you're out mowing lawns or not uh, playing cartoons, not watching cartoons, yeah. not playing yeah. video games and you're out practicing to get to 10,000 hours on your baseball swing. Every time that happened, you just think to yourself, this isn't a sacrifice. This is me moving in the direction where I want to go. Absolutely. And I, I've, I've been fortunate to be very goal oriented my whole life. Um, and you know, that can actually come back and bite you sometimes. I mean, you can, you can get burnt out. You can, uh, get frustrated. You can be too hard on yourself. And, you know, after a tough, tough loss in either football or baseball, sometimes I just didn't come home. You know, I would just go park my car. I go sit and I go stew by myself. And then I come back, you know, a couple hours later and my parents knew that I was too, too hard on myself. So, you know, I think that there is a balance that everybody has to find there. Um, but for me, more often than not, you know, I, I just, I feel like the sacrifices that I made always paid off. And it, 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 there is something in sacrifice period that makes you successful. Well, that's your definition of excellence, right? You need to be prepared. You need to work hard. You need to have the intentions and execute on them. Yeah. Very and rarely you, is wasting time executing on your intentions, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to achieve those four without some level of sacrifice. Right, right. Maybe it's an investment, not a sacrifice. I might have to change my question here, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, Last one, though. Uh, You mentioned John Maxwell's book, Developing the Leader Within. What other books are your favorite books and the books that have influenced you the most? Yeah. So um, for those people that are getting into any kind of leadership management type of a role, um, I highly also recommend uh, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin's Extreme Ownership. Um, they were Navy SEALs in the past. They were leadership in Navy SEALs. They wrote a book about their combat principles and how those combat principles can apply 
to non-combat situations, real life, real business situations. Um, and I just find so much of what they shared very intuitive, but it all starts with this initial concept of as a leader, you have to demonstrate ownership because if you don't, you won't get anywhere with your team. Um, so I really like that book. I, I, I like the way it's written. They also have an audio book. It's great to listen to. Um, outside of that, there's been a couple other books that I've really enjoyed on the fiction side. I really enjoyed um, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I read that when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. On the nonfiction side, you know, a book that we actually read as vice presidents with College Works, uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Um, I was a huge fan of that book because it was written by the head coach of the 49ers. Even though I'm not a big Niners fan, Bill Walsh was legendary as a coach. And hearing how his uh, leadership principles for a professional NFL organization carrying over into a business type environment. Uh, I just ate that up too. So I, I think those are, you know, a couple of the ones that I would really recommend. Yeah, the 49ers, a tutoring business, a painting business, or Keenview. It's all the same principles. Well, Rob, thank you very much for making time to meet with me today and join us on the Excel Today podcast. You all your life have uh, embodied excellence and I am sure everybody will gain from your wonderful words today. Thank you. Well, it was really gracious to be here. Thanks so much. And uh, hopefully there's a couple good takeaways for everybody. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.